Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. No matter where you are in the world, I'd like to welcome you back to another episode of Whose World Is This? with Junior Renee Bobrun. Thank you guys for tuning in. If you are a first-time listener, I'd like to welcome you back to this ongoing conversation that is now in its 79th episode. If you are a returning listener, I'd like to welcome you back. Thank you again for lending me your ears again and again and again. Uh, if you have any questions, concerns, kudos, or, or collaborations, uh, business inquiries regarding uh, this platform, if you want to interview me or if you would like to be interviewed, if you have any contributions, any counterpoints that you would like to bring up, I am always game and ready and I inviting of commentary, of, of conversation, and I can be emailed at whoseworldisthis21 at gmail.com. Or if you prefer, you can follow our Instagram page as well as direct message me on Instagram at whoseworldisthis2021. And uh, thank you for that. And our cash app, as I've said before, is dollar sign J-U-N-B-E-A-U. That's dollar sign Junebo. No amount is too small and no amount is too large. So please feel free to exceed the cash app limit or get all the way up to the cash app limit for one transaction or several. I don't know what that is. But um, thank you guys for those who have contributed to, to the cash app. I appreciate that. Venmo, I'm avail I'm uh you can reach the show at J-U-N-B-E-A-U if you have any donations to the show, any uh, monetary contributions that you would like to uh, give the show, Venmo is J-U-N-B-E-A-U, and the cash app is dollar sign J-U-N-B-E-A-U. Also, ChavezHouse.com, don't forget to get your journals, don't forget to get your notebooks, don't forget to get your uh, fitness uh, logs and diaries at Chavez, that's Chavez with an S, C-H-A-V-E-S house.com. Please feel free. Hi, I'm getting a lot of positive feedback from people who've actually purchased the journal. They bought it. You can go right on Amazon because the, the, the link from chavezhouse.com will take you to the Amazon page. And um, it's uh, if you'd like, you can go on Amazon, go into the search bar, put in Chavez House Publishing and all the um, items that are authored by Lenore Batista are under the Chavez House umbrella. So please feel free. Purchase what you'd like. Uh, Amazon, obviously, you know, it delivers on time. It's pretty quickly. It's pretty painless. And uh, uh, it's been awesome. The feedback, people have purchased journals. I'm getting great feedback on this show. It's just a lot of good things going on. I've done a lot of this last several episodes have been, I guess, considered provocative. <clears throat> I've spoken about... Uh, the gender dynamic that exists in this country. I've spoken to the intergenerational or intragenerational situations that are occurring um, as, far as, as far as dialogue and discourse, etc. This episode, I'm going to turn back. I'm not going to turn back the clock, but I've spoken at length, not at nauseum, but at length about what's been occurring in Eastern Europe vis-a-vis -vis Russia, Ukraine, the United States, and parts of Western Europe, right? I've done about three to four episodes on that. What's interesting about that is, 
you know, there have been I've gotten some pushback, which is I mean, of course, I mean, uh, understandably, there have been friends of mine who've said that, wow, I didn't know a lot of the things that you were speaking about. I've had some people who've said I don't agree and this is why, et cetera, et cetera, which is all good and all great. But a couple of articles from some very, how do I say, pressing from some very uh, qualified individuals who can speak about these things that have been going on in Russia have have written some articles. And the funny thing is, I did my um, uh, 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 Russia commentary in early March. We're still in early March. I think I'm doing this episode right now. It's in 20 something of March. I don't remember. I don't even know the date. Uh, but this is what's interesting about that. What's interesting is I did those commentaries i think march 6th march 8th march 9th i think i think i did three or four episodes in a row i spoke about the dynamic in russia in the united states and our history as far as colonialism as far as sovereignty and the idea of sovereignty and how it's used or misused or misinterpreted depending on who's using that word I got I went into great detail over it in early March, first week of March. I think I did consecutive episodes where I was just rattling off the top of the dome. And I also spoke about I think I did an episode called Refugees Need Love, Too," And I was speaking about the 84 or 100 million displaced individuals that are not being paid attention to right now. Or, you know, the 100,000 Haitians that were at the border, all of these things I spoke about. The reason why this is so interesting is because I spoke about these things and it's not just, you know, uh, Junior Renee Beaubrun of some obscure podcast rattling off at the mouth. I'm going to be speaking or I'm going to be quoting sometimes verbatim uh, a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist who was a foreign correspondent for about 15 years. This person was on the ground in the Middle East. This person was on the ground in the Balkans in Eastern Europe. This person was on the ground in South and Central America, all throughout major conflicts. I'm not going to mention their name. I'll allow you, based on the things that I say, you can go online and look them up yourself. Oftentimes, people like to kill the messenger depending on their political affiliation. So if this person I'm speaking about is on the right, people on the left are going to go, oh, that's just a right wing talking head. People on the right, if they think that this person is a left winger, they go, oh, this person's just a left wing talking head. And then you'll dismiss the facts or you'll dismiss the argument even before you hear it based on the messenger and you'll dismiss the message. So that's why I don't mention certain quotes sometimes from certain people, but I'll give you information that is fact based. Now, what I'm going to say is something I already said. I read this article and it was published, I think, March 14th or 15th. This was a week after I did mine. This is a week after. This is someone who is well into their 50s or 60s or 70s. I don't know how old this person is, but they're older than me, more experienced than me, more scholarly than I am. All of the above. They check all the boxes and they've been on the ground in places that I haven't been. And they said they started off this article and it just hit me based on a lot of the things that I spoke about. And it really speaks about the hypocrisy of posturing in war, which is which is what you need. You need posture in war. You need your people on your side of a conflict to be on your side. That's it. To buy into your perspective. Right. 
this individual, he starts off his article and says this. He says, dividing the world into worthy and unworthy victims is a tactic used to justify our crimes and demonize our enemies. Conflicts will not be solved until all nations abide by international law and all victims are deemed worthy. Dividing the world into worthy and unworthy victims is a tactic used to justify our crimes and demonize our enemies. Is that not what I said? Had I not said that, and I'm not using this person as a um, way to say that I was right and everyone else who disagrees with me is wrong because each and every single last person who has an argument, you're going to find someone who shares your argument. Doesn't make you right. I don't care if 10,000 people believe with you, you believe. Doesn't make you right. 100,000 people can look up at the sky and say the sky is green and not blue. Doesn't make them right. Right? Correct? So just because I'm quote, I'm just saying that there are those that are more learned than I am, that this is not me screaming in a vacuum. This is a person whose politics sometimes I do not agree with. Right. And I am I am prone to listening to everyone, regardless of political affiliation, religious denomination. I don't care. Gender. Not really my thing. I don't care if if it rings true or if it represents a higher truth and it cuts through the minutiae and the detritus of propaganda, nationalism, et cetera, et cetera, and gets to the crux of things, then I'm, I'm, I'm usually by default, I'm going to gravitate towards that. So that dividing the world into worthy and unworthy en- victims is a tactic used to justify our crimes and, and demonize our enemies. Remember when I said that every time we watch a movie, is Russia not the enemy? Is the Soviet is, is Russia post Soviet uh, 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 Russia not considered the enemy and the United States considered the hero, even no matter what we do in certain regions, et cetera, et cetera. We'll consider what we're doing to be an exercise in democracy expansion. But if someone, another nation that we are not in agreement with does the exact same thing exactly to the letter or even less, we'll consider it aggression of, of a certain sort. Right. So they go on to say in this article, rulers divide the world into worthy and unworthy victims. Those we are allowed to pity, such as the Ukrainians enduring the hell of modern warfare, and those whose suffering is minimized, dismissed, or ignored. The terror we and our allies carry out against the Iraqi or the Syrian or the Libyan or the Somali or the Yemeni civilians. Yemen is going through a seven year war, by the way. I'll continue. Yemen is part of the regrettable cost of war. So the Ukrainians get to be the victims of the hell that people suffering from uh, or being a, a modern warfare go through. But yet these other victims what they're going through becomes minimized. Their suffering is dismissed, ignored, or minimized. And even though we, the West, the United States, when I say we, I mean our government and United States' allies, when we carry out certain situations in Iraq and Syria, Libya, Somali, Somalia, and Yemen, those civilians are the regrettable cost of war. I'll continue. He says, we... Echoing the empty promises from Moscow claim that we do not target civilians. Rulers always paint their military as humane. 
there to serve and protect and collateral damage happens and it is regrettable. Okay. So in any case, I thought that that was very interesting. The reason why I thought that that was very interesting is because just recently there was an article that came out in Newsweek, I think it was. And this Newsweek article is very, very, there are several politicians who are not happy with the United States as far as its um, policy towards the Ukrainian refugees. Okay, because as of, I think last week, I'm right, I'm, as I'm saying this, we are days into a policy where the Joseph R. Biden administration told reporters that up to 100,000 Ukrainians and others fleeing Russia's invasion of Ukraine will be welcomed into the United States through its refugee program and other legal pathways. So up to 100,000 Ukrainians and others fleeing Russia's invasion of Ukraine will be welcomed into the United States through its refugee program. Joseph R. Biden claimed to say, by opening our country to these individuals, we will help relieve some of the pressure on the European host countries that are currently shouldering so much of the responsibilities for what is Europe's largest refugee crisis since the Second World War. Now, just so you know, that four out of the 10 richest countries on the planet are located in Europe. You have Sweden, the UK, you have France, and you have Germany. Europe can shoulder the burden of what's going on in, 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 in Russia. I'm sorry, in the Ukraine. Europe has the capabilities. Europe has the infrastructure. Europe has the logistics. And Europe has the wealth, the resources, to absorb and shoulder the pressures of what's going on. Four out of the 10 richest countries on the planet are in close proximity to the Ukraine. They don't even have to cross a body of water to get to these host countries. Germany, right there. France, right there. Sweden, over there. UK, you got the English Channel, no big deal. And if everything calms down and gets back to normal in a year or two or three, they can easily matriculate back into their country. They can take a railway, quick flight, couple of hours, bang, right back home. So there are some um, politicians in the United States that are saying, hey, why is the U.S. giving aid to the Ukraine after the administration deported thousands of Haitians who fled Haiti after the assassination of their president and a 7.2 magnitude earthquake? Hmm. Viral videos of Border Patrol agents on horses whipping Haitians while they're trying to cross into the United States. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. What was that statement? Need I go back to that? Need I go back to that? Let's go back to that. Hmm? Let's go back to that. Worthy and unworthy victims. Whose trauma, whose plight is dismissed, ignored, minimized, and whose plight is aggrandized, propagandized, and emphasized? This is not me speaking, people. These are politicians. Some are even Democrats. This isn't the GOP. This isn't the build the wall GOP. 
These are actual Democrats oftentimes that are speaking. These are people that are part of the United States's, uh, I'm sorry, the Democratic Party's allies. This is what they're saying. This is good, but it also underscores just how badly Haitian migrants were treated and still being treated. They're still being deported. These are actual uh, uh, officials, political officials. Okay, the, uh, I think it's Representative Andy Levin who said the U.S. can't claim to be a global safe haven for the oppressed and persecuted if we turn away refugees seeking safety because of where they're from. I'm just saying. I wanted to speak about who's considered worthy and unworthy. Remember what I spoke about, about the media telling us who's worthy and who's worthy. And it's not just the media. I have to ask the question of all questions. Is it our media or is it? Remember, I did an, I did an episode called Is It Media or Is It Me? Is it me or the media? Is the media just reflecting our own biases, our own hypocrisy, our own contradictions back at us? Or is it actually really propaganda? Are we just being part of a socialized situation where we're constantly being pumped up full of fear and told who, who's, who's right, who's wrong, who's good, who's evil? Or, do we, or, or is the media or just exploiting our already preconceived notions as to who is a worthy victim, who is an unworthy victim? But like I told you, remember I told you I had that friend who lives in the Netherlands, who contacted me about a friend that we bought, a mutual friend that we had in the Ukraine. And she was ready to open up her doors, open up her home, their shelters set up all throughout the Netherlands, etc., etc. Meanwhile, in Darfur, in Ethiopia, in Sudan, in Yemen, all over Eastern Africa, all over Central Africa, there are real wars that have been going on. Yemen is going through a seven-year war. Nothing. Those boats get pushed right back into the water. Countless, hundreds, if not thousands of refugees fleeing parts of eastern Africa get pushed right back into the water. It's operation do not let them touch the land. So you push them back into the water. They're not allowed to touch coastal Europe. They're not allowed to touch tangible land in Europe. If, if they're intercepted by uh, 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 whatever coast guard is over there in maritime Europe, whether they're trying to get into Italy or France, these people in makeshift bathtubs, makeshift rafts get set back into the water. And we hear about it. Oh, yeah, such and such died. A boat capsized, a makeshift boat capsized off of the coast of France, blah, 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 blah. 50 African immigrants were on it. We hear that all the time. In Haiti, you know, many of my friends in South Florida, you hear it all the time. Oh, yeah, there was a boat that capsized off of the coast of, of Florida. Haitians fleeing such and such. Dismissed. They're dismissed. They're ignored. Okay? Altogether diminished. Hmm. Meanwhile, U.S. can't claim to be a global safe haven for the oppressed and persecuted if we turn away refugees seeking safety because of where they're from. I'm not saying that certain people are being displaced or misplaced or being uh, deported because of where they're from. I'm just saying there isn't a certain form of uniformity that is occurring right now in these regions. Just saying. 
I want to continue with this article because it was a, another article. It was very, very important. And, and, and I wanted to emphasize the fact that four of the richest countries in the world are in Europe. Ukraine is in Eastern Europe. It is easy for those countries to <clears throat> get together. And, uh, but the United States is looking to do what? Create a certain level of goodwill because of why? It's NATO, it's expansion, it's missiles, it's, it's, uh, um, it's uh, I don't want to call it an intrusion, but it's growing influence in Europe. It's, it's Atlanticist agenda. There's an agenda called the Atlanticist agenda where U.S. wants Europe to be its offshoot. And then there's something called a common European home where Europe wants to be independent from the United States' interference. But when you're operating on the U.S. dollar as the world currency, the United States exerts a certain amount of influence in international affairs that are going on in Europe. As a matter of fact, we're just days into the statement where Joe Biden said, how long is Putin going to be in power? We can't have this man in power. And it sent shockwaves throughout Europe. France's prime minister, France's president, Macron, said, whoa, 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 whoa. We're not looking for regime change. We're not doing that. He's like, I'm, on I'm in talks with Putin over the phone every day. We're Listen, what are you talking about? W what do you mean regime change? You see what I'm saying? Europe is saying, hey, listen, we're allowing a lot of these things to occur. You're exerting a certain level of influence. And now what are you talking about? You want to depose this man? You're looking for, and then, and then what's going to happen then? Certain countries that are not aligned with the United States' agenda are going to say, hey, wait, the United States is just, just deciding that it wants to pluck out presidents every time it decides to. So let me continue on with this article. Let me continue on with this article. All right. It says, worthy victims allow citizens to see themselves as empathetic, compassionate, and just. Worthy victims are an effective tool to demonize the aggressor. They are used to obliterate nuance and ambiguity. So if we mention the provocations carried out by the Western alliance with the expansion of NATO beyond the borders of a unified Germany, a violation of promises that were made to Moscow in 1990, if we bring up the stationing of NATO troops and missile batteries in Eastern Europe, the U.S.'s involvement in the ouster of the 2014 Ukrainian president, Viktor Yanukovych, which led to the civil war in the east of Ukraine between Russian-backed separatists and the Ukraine's army, a conflict that has claimed tens of thousands of lives. If you bring this up, you are dismissed as a Putin apologist. It is to taint the sainthood of the worthy victims, and by extension ourselves, we are good. They are evil. Worthy victims are used not only to express sanctimonious outrage, but to stoke self-adulation and a poisonous nationalism. The cause becomes sacred, a religious crusade. Fact-based evidence is abandoned, as it was during the calls to invade Iraq. Charlatans, liars, con artists, fake defectors, and opportunists become experts used to fuel the conflict. We are good, they are evil. The abandonment of nuance the abandonment of ambiguity for the polarization of what we're doing is good, what they're doing is evil. Poisonous nationalism. Isn't that, th this article is from March 14th. I'm not patting myself on the back or anything saying, damn, this is, this is just a, a, a more eloquent way of saying all the things that I said. I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm just letting you know that people way learned, more learned than all of us. 
that are sitting here uh, uh, chiming in about what's going on in the United States and Russia and Ukraine and Europe and NATO are speaking and have intimate knowledge of international law, which I have a, a certain, I don't maybe somewhat pedestrian knowledge of because I studied it and, and it was something that I was interested in. But who have a, 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 a what I call a scholarly understanding of international law, of treaties, of agendas, of, 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 of conflict, of propaganda, of how the citizens are used and how the media is used and how spokesmen and corporations are used to bring about certain agendas that may be antithetical to certain truths. You know, OK, I'll continue on with the article. Celebrities who, like the powerful, carefully orchestrate their public image, pour out their hearts to worthy victims. Hollywood stars such as George Clooney, they make trips to Darfur, denouncing the war crimes being committed by Khartoum at the same time the U.S. was killing scores of civilians in Iraq and Afghanistan. The war in Iraq was as savage as the slaughter in Darfur, but to express outrage at what was happening to unworthy victims was to become branded as the enemy, who, of course, like Putin or Saddam Hussein, is always the new Hitler. <sighs> the rank of hypocrisy is stunning. Some of the same officials that orchestrated the invasions of Iraq who under international law are war criminals for carrying out a preemptive war are now chastising Russia for its violation of international law. The U.S. bombing campaign of Iraqi urban centers called shock and awe saw the dropping of three thousand bombs on civilian areas that killed over 7,000 non-combatants in the first two months of the war. Russia has yet to go to this extreme. Okay, this is very, very important. This is very, very important. Because this person also goes on to say all of this remains unspoken as we, we express our anger, anguish for the people of Ukraine and revel in our moral superiority. But understand that the life of an Iraqi child, the life of a Venezuelan child, the life of a Yemenese child, the life of a child in the Sudan and Ethiopia is just as precious as the life of a Ukrainian child. No one should live in fear and terror. No one should be sacrificed on the altar of, of, of moral superiority. But until all victims are worthy, until all who wage war are held accountable and brought to justice, this hypocritical game of life and death will continue. Some human beings will be worthy of life and others will be not. Others will not. If you want to drag Putin off to the International Criminal Court and put him on trial for war crimes, make sure that we have our own elected officials in the cells next to him. If we can't see ourselves, we can't see anyone else. And this blindness leads to catastrophe. I'll repeat that. If we can't see ourselves, we can't see anyone else. And this blindness leads to catastrophe. What did I say a couple of episodes ago? I said, if you are okay with the Cuban Missile Crisis and the United States' reaction to that, then you have to be okay with Russia's invasion in the Ukraine. If you are okay with the Bay of Pigs, then you have to be okay with this. It is parallel politics with the same actors, by the way. The same superpower actors are at play. If you can't see yourself, then you can't see anyone else. 
if you have a blind spot with America good, you evil. If that's your binary way of thinking, if that's your polar way of thinking, and you've abandoned nuance and you've abandoned ambiguity, if, like I said, if you're okay with the Bay of Pigs, you have to be okay with this. You have to be. Regardless if you're a communist, democratic, socialist, I don't care what your politics is. I'm not a communist. But if you are, and I'm not, and I wasn't okay with the Bay of Pigs. I wasn't okay with that, even though I wasn't born yet. Looking at the transcript and seeing how close that the United States came to pushing the button. And the only people who, on the ground who, who actually made sure that the war wasn't provoked, nuclear war wasn't provoked or, or carried out, ironically, was soldiers on both sides. If you read books from U.S. pilots, U.S. naval fleets, Russian naval fleets, and they saw aggression from their opposition, the Russians saw aggression by the United States, the United States saw aggression off the coast of, 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 of the United States and Cuba and Florida, and they saw it. They were experiencing it firsthand in real time, and they did not allow that situation to escalate because they knew in the back of their mind that the button could be pressed that our president, John Fitzgerald Kennedy, was ready to go boom. And then the Russians on the other side were ready to go boom. And it was soldiers on the ground who had to have the conscience to go, yeah, we can't allow these men in suits and these war profiteers to win while we lose. Remember what I said, when elephants collide, remember that old African proverb, when elephants collide, it's the grass that suffers. You have millions of Ukrainians now that are being um, displaced, three million altogether. You have Russian sanctions. You think a billionaire losing $900 million is going to make a difference? You think that these Russian billionaire oligarchs don't have a way to hide their money from sanctions? You fr you, who do you think suffers in sanctions? You think it's the millionaire who's still going to be rich? Because once you, once you make money, you know how to hide money. You know how to shelter money. You know how to still live. The people who suffer are the Russian citizens. It's the people on the ground. Ukrainian citizens. It's the people on the ground. Okay? While Zelensky is, you know, flirting with the West and, and, and not coming to the table and filling out the neutrality doctrines, um, you put your people at risk. Giants collide. So I'm going to continue on because like I was telling a lot of my friends, um, it's very difficult for people in the United States to look at themselves in the mirror. America, number one, we're number one. Yeah, even though we're last in the first world in math and science scores, but, you know, we're number one. We're number one. We're number one. That's pumped into our minds and our hearts from the beginning. People who don't think like us, who don't have a democracy, who don't have capitalism first and foremost, and who are probably not Christians and invariably not white, are not number one. Even though the but you know you have to check a lot of boxes to be considered an ally of the United States, or for the average American citizens to consider you an ally, right? So if you can't see yourself, you can't see anyone else. So when you're looking at things through your binary poisonous nationalism without critical thinking which isn't taught in our public schools you don't you don't get to you don't get critical reasoning until you have to take a state test <laughs> right until your SATs or your you, you you barely get critical thinking until it's time to get time to take your SATs 
We don't teach critical reasoning and Socratic methods and things of that nature in schools. This is the reason why. Because when complicated situations like this come up, you just do what? You default back into what you were taught. We're number one. We're good. They're bad. So I want to talk about Africa for a moment. Africa has been conspicuously quiet on the Russia dynamic. And this article also speaks, another article speaks about amid a worldwide chorus of condemnation, much of Africa has either pushed back or remained noticeably quiet on the Africa issue. The reason? Many nations on the continent of 1.3 billion people of Africa have long-standing ties and support from Moscow, dating back to the Cold War when the Soviet Union supported anti-colonial struggles. Didn't I speak to you about the, 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 the organizations in the United States that were, that were integrated were communist organizations? in the early 1900s in this country. Some may say, oh, well, they were doing that to subvert the United States and doing that for, you know, trying to destroy the United States from within. Uh, wasn't the United States doing that on its own by creating an authoritarian situation for a, a significant segment of their population? I don't think you need Russia. It's the same thing that occurred when Donald Trump was elected in, in uh, uh, 2016 when you had the Democrats screaming collusion with the Russians, as if the Russians are the ones who, sh who killed Trayvon Martin. The Russians killed Mike Brown. The Russians killed George Floyd. The Russians are the reason why you have um, um, black men failing in colleges all across the country. You have an incarceration matrix that, that incarcerates more nonviolent criminals than any other country on the planet. Oh, that's Putin? You think there's not enough discontent with the way things are that you need foreign f sources and forces to ferment that. And if they are and if they are on the ground seeding, they're, they're only they're only highlighting what's already occurring. Let's entertain for a moment that Russia has been on the ground during the election of Donald Trump and the Russian government and some sort of counter intelligence agenda was saying, hey, black guys, hey, black people, why are you voting for Hillary? Why are you voting for the Democrats? Look what they've done. Look what they've done. Is that not the same thing that Malcolm X said? Is that not the same thing that Huey P. Newton said? Is that not the same thing that Fred Hampton said? Is that not the same thing that countless, countless black revolutionaries and, and even just people, the true progressives in this country, the true independents in this country have been saying? You have the Ralph Naders of the world. You have countless progressives that have been that are not Russian affiliated, have been screaming for decades that our Democratic Party is not the party of the people. And if you ask me, I will tell you that they're not the party of the people. They're not. They're not the party of the oppressed, suppressed and repressed. They're not. Absolutely. 100. So you don't need foreign agents, some disinformation protocol to inform you of your lot in life. If you're going through mass poverty, if your schools are closing down and uh, in re being replaced with charter schools, um, if your people have lead in their water at epic proportions third world proportions in big cities all over the country, not just Detroit. Do you need Russia to, to highlight these things for you? And if Russia highlights these things, are these things not realities on the ground? Are they being exaggerated? No. Are they being aggrandized? No. Are they being embellished? No. These are truths. So what are you doing about the truths? 
when 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 the the, the communist party had the only integrated party or, or the only or the communist organizations were the only integrated organizations in the united states you're going to blame the oh, russians is trying to subvert the united states as democracy is it democracy to have segregation is it democracy to have jim crow is it democracy to have slavery it's not so you can't blame foreign agents for what you're doing on the ground. You can't blame another country for being authoritarian and authoritarian and dictatorial if you're if you have a dictatorial authoritarian mandate on people on the ground saying if you eat here we will arrest you. You are not allowed to live here, walk here. You have a curfew. If you are of a certain complexion of a certain race, you have to be inside your house by sundown. There was a sundown rule. There was a sundown rule in this country. So don't tell me about, oh, they're looking to subvert our way of life. Ooh, your way of life may need, dare I say, subverting because of what you've done. So I'll continue. So it's interesting that Africa's saying, hey, listen, you want us to scream about Russia and what they're doing wrong when they have a right to protect their borders? This, you want us to be what? On the side of what? The United States has been pressuring Africa to, 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 to condemn Russia. And the United St and African countries are saying, you had Nelson Mandela on your terror watch list until 2008. That man was released from a South African prison in 1998. In 1998. And you waited almost 30 years to take him off of your terror watch list. What? This man was in a prison for 27 years. And when he was released, it took you just that same amount of time to get him off of your terror watch list. Did you put Andrew de Klerk and the, South, and, the, and, the, and the white separatist South African government on your terror watch list? No, they were they were they were they were they were uh, one of America's the United States's closest allies to the point where we allowed them to get a nuclear weapon at one point. Israel and South Africa, they had a, you would try to turn them into a superpower. Where 99% of the, the country, the indigenous people, own no wealth. 1% of the population. These interlopers, these, these Anglo aggressors are allowed to take over South Africa, but they weren't, Andrew de Klerk was not considered a terrorist. But the man who said, no, this isn't right. We've been in this land for thousands of, since the beginning of time. I can't even say thousands of years. Hundreds of thousands of years. We've been here. And all of a sudden now, you're telling us that the people who fight for freedom, justice, and equality are the terrorists? And, um, and we were okay with having Nelson Mandela on the, on, the, on, the, um, um, on the terror watch list as a terrorist? So you're asking these same nations to now all of a sudden say, oh yeah, Russia bad? U.S. good, like I say, like I've said, you cannot take out the nuances. You cannot take out the ambiguity. You cannot take out the history. If you have a blind spot and you can't see yourself, that means you won't be able to see anyone else. It's that simple. And this, this one scholar who's been around for, I don't know, six decades and is considered one of the foremost intellectuals in this country, he wrote something that was interesting. He said, as has been understood for a long time, decades in fact, for Ukraine to join NATO would be rather like Mexico joining a China-run military alliance, hosting joint maneuvers with the Chinese army, and maintaining weapons aimed at Washington. 
to insist on Mexico's sovereignty right to do so would surpass idiocy. Washington's insistence on Ukraine's sovereign right to join NATO is even worse since it sets up an insurmountable barrier to a peaceful resolution of a crisis that is already a shocking crime and will soon become much more unless resolved. Do you hear what I'm saying? When I said before in one of my, uh, uh, I think in conversation, I said it in one of the other podcasts when I said, hey, listen, man. Would we be okay with Mexico joining China? Would we okay with China on the board? Because remember, Ukraine and Russia, you can walk over just like you can walk over from southern Texas to Mexico and parts of Arizona into Mexico is the same way you can walk from the Ukraine into Russia. So the United States in, in United States and Western allied forces increasing NATO expansion from 12 or so countries to about 30 and you have missiles pointed directly at Russia. And I asked everyone out there, what is Vladimir Putin's responsibility to the Russian people and his borders, his national security? Look at it from an international scholar's perspective. What would the U.S. do? You know, if you're a Christian, you ask, what would Jesus do? If you're a Muslim, you ask, what would Allah do? Right? You're Buddhist, what would Buddha do? You're an American. What would America do? What would the United States do if Mexico and China were to start aligning? And China said, hey, we're going to have some joint military maneuvers in Juarez, in Mexico City, on the border. We kind of want to put a couple of missiles there. It's absurd to you in your mind. It's absurd. But in your mind, you can't see yourself. You see U.S. good China bad. So when Russia sees the United States pointing missiles at it and, and all of the countries, it's getting it aligned under its Atlanticist agenda. OK, to create this antagonistic adversarial relationship, where it just has it's surrounded by antagonism, real existential threats. Where it's like, yo, you have missiles pointed at me in several different countries. What am I supposed to do again? And then you're trying to somehow absorb Ukraine into your into your uh, uh, sphere to create some pseudo servile state. Trying to treat it like it's Puerto Rico or something. You, the United States is operating in a way where it's trying to treat certain countries in Europe as if it's a, 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 a loose commonwealth of the United States. Now, if you're OK with that, fine. Let's say I'm okay with that, but I also have to be okay with certain countries that are not okay with that, that don't see that as a good idea, that see that see that as a as a as a threat to their quote unquote sovereignty. So I like when this uh, particular scholar said that um um that uh, Ukraine joining NATO would rather would be like Mexico joining a China-run military alliance, hosting joint maneuvers. So to, to insist on Mexico's sovereign right to do so would surpass idiocy. So if you're not okay with China, listen to me now. If you're not okay with China in Mexico running joint military maneuvers, if you're not okay with China cozying up with, the Me with sovereign Mexico, then you can't be okay with the United States cozying up to the point with the Ukraine where it has missiles pointed at Russia. 
you can't be okay with that. This is what I mean. If you can't see, when this article says, if we can't see ourselves, we can't see anyone else. And this blindness leads to catastrophe. Very important information. I just thought I would share that with you guys. I thought that it was awesome. I actually, um, you know, um, um, I enjoyed this article. I enjoyed several of these articles that I've been reading. It's, I, I literally condensed like four, five, six articles in one. And all of them came out. I'm going to emphasize it. All of these came out March 14th, March 15th, because I've told you guys before that a lot of the things that I'm telling you are streams of consciousness that I already have. I don't really have notes. I wrote a lot of this stuff down. I'm speaking from a perspective of, of research. I'm speaking of a perspective of, of, of attempting to be as arbitrary as I can and see things clinically as much as I can as a political scientist because that's what I studied and that's what I enjoyed. To, I enjoyed it ever since I was a child. So I'm able to see, you know, I'm able to not look at the United States with rose-colored lenses, and I'm able to look at other countries. I'm not looking at other countries as an alternative to us because I'm holding some sort of anti-American bias. No, I'm able to just see, hey, wait a minute. When we did such and such in this country, when I when I examine the nuances and the ambiguities and, the, and, and further and, and reflect on the information that's given, I go, wait a minute. There are parallels there. And if we're going to demonize those actions, which deserve to be demonized, then we have to demonize our own actions. If we can't see ourselves we can't see anyone else. If you're just looking at it from a Russia bad perspective, that's lacking the nuance and ambiguity to, to come up with an informed opinion on the subject. So you, when you have this, oh, Russia, Putin needs to be brought up on war crimes. Are you kidding me? You know how many countries that Dick Cheney and George Bush can't travel to because, there are, because a war criminal court would probably arrest them on site after what occurred in Iraq? And what occurred in Afghanistan in the early 2000s? Do you know how many war crimes? And let's forget about that. I want everyone who's listening to me for the first time to go back and listen to the first U.S. v. Russia. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's episode 70 or something like that where I spoke about these things. Go back to that. Go back and take a listen to a lot of the things that I was spewing from, from episodes 1, 2, 3, and 4. It gets deeper than that. I wanted to give a, a, a broad overview, but I, I touched on certain things and that word sovereignty and how it's loosely used and how it's conveniently used and how we have these worthy and unworthy victims and how Ukraine is the victim right now. I said, and I'll say it again, and I will hold anyone to task if they, uh, no, I'm not, I, I, will, I will defend this point President Zelensky of the Ukraine was playing a dangerous game with the United States and NATO. With the Western forces, with the European forces, he played a very dangerous game, a very dangerous game. OK, because if people are going to go, well, he's allowed to play that game because he's sovereign. Would we think the same thing about Mexico if Mexico decided to play footsie with China? Would we be saying that Mexico is allowed to talk to China? Mexico is allowed to speak to Russia. Mexico is allowed to speak to Iraq or Iran. Well, look at it from Russia's perspective. They actually have missiles pointed at them right now. Right now. At the moment, ICBM, intercontinental ballistic missiles are pointed at it right now. Okay. 
even though the United States is not at war with Russia. United States does a lot of business with Russia. Didn't you hear McDonald's just shut down 850 locations in Russia or something like that? 850, lo- not 85, 850, even if it was 85, even if it was eight, it just goes to show you the extensive business that the United States does in Russia. Nestle, McDonald's, food companies, IT companies are in Russia making tens of millions of dollars working in, working in concert with Russia, with the Russian people, with Russian companies, with the Russian government. So let's not act like there's some wall that's separating what they're doing over there on that side of the world and what we're doing over here on that side of the world. We are all interconnected and we are all interdependent. So this, so you cannot use binary logic when we're all working, when we're all trading, where we're all doing business. You can't tell me that Ukraine had a right to play footsie with the United States and NATO and, 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 and it, they have a right to do so due to them being a sovereign nation. You can't believe that and not be OK if Mexico decided, hey, you know what? This whole United States situation isn't working for me. Donald Trump called us criminals, called Mexican citizens criminals and et cetera. And they're crossing the border. Let's let's take a moment for a moment. Let's say Mexico is not happy with the fact that their cartels are growing stronger and stronger and have more money than their government. The Mexican cartels have more money than the Mexican government. The Mexican cartel has more money than Mexican companies. And Mexico was one of the top 10 richest countries on the planet. I don't think you, what, what, what we think about Mexico is not Mexico. Mexico is a rich, vibrant culture that predates the United States. It's one of the richest, most vibrant cultures in this hemisphere. You understand? Rich and vibrant intellectuals, artists, everything comes from Mexico. Okay? And the cartel is richer than most of the companies. Cash rich, no debt. It's richer than the government. It's richer than all of that. And the reason why those cartels are so rich is because the majority of the cartel's customer base is where, question mark, in the United States, right across the border. The product that the cartel has access to and produces has a customer base in this country that's willing to pay top dollar. That's why sometimes it's easier for you to get a piece of contraband drugs and narcotic from Mexico than it is to find you a Coke machine. I remember when I was in school at St. John's and I, and I said to one of my teachers, we were speaking about, um, um, I don't know what we were talking about exactly, but I mentioned to them, I said, I think I was dispelling a, an, a, an argument, but I remember my assertion was, why is it that um, I have to travel all the way down to the third floor cafeteria whatever to get a soda from the soda machine but contraband from mexico is right in the dorm room next to me and i'm in queens new york why is it possible for me to go in almost every corner in the united states to pick up contraband from a from from mexico from deep in cartel regions deep in south america hmm why is that? How is that possible that they have a distribution network that is so vast that they're able to get it to my doorstep that I can go in almost any corner and be like, hey, listen, you know, somebody who's got some such and such. OK, great. Awesome. Thank you. Why is that possible? But yet sometimes I can't find a, a store that's open. Do you realize that our shelves are empty right now due to flawed policies during our p- pandemic? But yet 
that contraband still flows. As a matter of fact, there's been an increase in overdoses from that contraband. So what if Mexico said, you know what? What if the Mexican government, from, from pressure from the, from the Mexican citizen who are overrun by these cartels where their cities and their towns and their police department are being held hostage by these savage, liquid-rich cartels? What if the companies put pressure on the government and said, you know what? You may have to cut off ties with the United States because they're calling us criminals and rapists and murderers when we have a richer, a rich, long history of civilization before there was an American, before there was such thing as an American. We were here. We had indigenous people here creating civilizations. And yet one of the main reasons why we're, uh, some of our cities are overrun with crime is because of, a, of, of, because of them as a customer base. Maybe we need to find another partner. Maybe we need to align ourselves with the, the Chinese. And maybe the Chinese can help us with our addiction problem. Maybe they can help us get on the ground and help us in a way that the United States has not been able to do so, so far. Many of the immigrant base that you're getting, many of the refugee base that you're getting from Mexico and Central America is due to us being a customer of their contraband, of their narcotic. We've made cartels billions of dollars, billions. We have billionaire drug dealers. Because of us as the customer base in the United States, the largest consumer of drugs on the planet, whether it's from our pharmaceutical industry or, or the contraband, is Americans in the contiguous United States. That is a fact. So with that being said, with that being said, what if Mexico said, you know what? We spoke to Chinese. We spoke to Jinping, Jinping, and he said, listen, I, I have solutions you know, Donald Trump is calling, you know, the, 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 organiz the uh, administrations in the United States have an antagonistic relationship with you. They call you names. They dismiss you. They dismiss. Mm, they dismiss what you're going through. They ignore what you're going through. Their people don't care. They want to build walls. They have citizens that are willing to build walls around you. Hmm. They don't look at you as a sovereign nation. They look at you as some sort of servile nation, a sub-nation of brown peasants. But we're going to help you. We're going to help that. We're, we're, we're not, we look at you as worthy victims, and we look at you as a worthy partners and worthy allies, a credible sovereign nation. But, you know, we can help you with your drug problem. We can... We can eradicate your cartels. We have the money. We have the know-how. Let's team up. Let's join up. The Mexican government would be foolish to do so because they know they would incur the wrath of the United States. They would incur the full wrath. They, they've seen what the United States did in Vietnam. They've seen what the United States did in Japan. They've seen the, they've see, they've, they've exp, they've seen the Malai massacres. They've seen the Bay of Pigs. They've seen the invasion of Grenada. They've seen all the things that have gone on all over the world with the United States in the Middle East and everywhere else. Mexico would be like, you know what, China? Thank you. We have a great trade relationship. And, you know, we have, um, we have a, uh, a decent diplomatic ties. But I'm going to abstain. The Mexican government would be like, oh, I'm going to, we're not going to take it any further than that. You coming over here with your guns may seem like a very antagonistic uh, uh, and adversarial overture. The United States could interpret that as such. 
and all of a sudden we may be considered enemies. Understand our position because we are right on the United States' border. We are part of the same land mass. And that would be the responsible thing for Mexico to do, even though it may make sense for Mexico to find another partner and find another ally. And be like, you know what? The United States is not doing a great job curtailing this issue. You don't need to build a wall. We need to build a better olive branch so you can help Mexico with its drug problem since we're one of the with its cartel problem because we have the drug problem. We may we, we need to help each other out. But in, instead of calling a, a, a sovereign nation, a bunch of these names. And you see how okay we've been with that as Americans. I want us to look in the mirror and see how okay we were with administration after administration demonizing immigrants and refugees that are escaping cartels in Mexico, escaping war in El Salvador, in Honduras, in Guatemala. Hmm? Demonizing them, yet... 100,000 Ukrainian refugees will be here so, so as to sort of relieve you, the Europe of its uh, pressure of, of, of having to absorb these refugees from the Ukraine. Meanwhile, right here on your borders, right here, every single moment of every single day, remember what was going on where, where man, woman and child were being separated in these detainment camps? Wasn't that just going on around George Bush II and during Obama? And Obama deported more people than George Bush. And then under Trump and then under and now under uh, 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 Joe Biden. Did we not just see what happened? It's easy. Worthy and unworthy victims. That's all I'm saying. All I'm saying is where are we with that? Mexico would be correct if China looked at it as an opportunity and I guarantee you that's probably happened. I guarantee you what I'm saying to you happened. I don't have any evidence of it, but I've, you know, every single nation operates in an opportunistic fashion. And if they see a weakness and they see an opening, if they see a way for them to get leverage in, in particular situations, they will take advantage of it. I'm guaranteeing you that when Donald Trump had his famous speech that got his GOP, his uh, constituency all lathered and slathered up. Because as Americans, we're already looking at these brown groups deep down in our subconscious. Come on, people. You know you don't look at Mexico for the rich, civilized culture that it actually is. When you think of Mexico, you think of tacos, burritos. You think of maybe some Mayans, maybe some Aztecs. But you think of brown people coming here to do various certain duties that most of us don't want to do. Various odd jobs that we don't want to do. Many, 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 many Americans, the overall sentiment when you think of Mexico is either a little vacation spot to get some to get some sun or you, you think about some tacos, or, you know, some of their food and you think about it. Eh. You know, it, isn't that there's an old saying that said, if you can't, a Mexican. So we treat Mexicans in this country like beasts of burden. You know, they're immigrants who come across the border and they get subjected to many, many labor, you know, many, many um, discriminatory acts, you know, in, the, in, in labor. You know, employers do not treat their Mexican labor the way they treat their their citizens and their, 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 their American labor. It's a totally different situation. Hmm. So deep down inside, when you hear build that wall and oh, my gosh, what are we going to do about immigration? Oh, who's going to take care of that? We got to stop these people flooding our borders. Oh, who's going to deal with Oh, We have Biden in office now. So, 
oh my gosh, you know, you know, the borders are going to be flooded with people. Now we have the Democrats in. That's the conversation. That's the conversation. What if the Mexican people take offense to that? What if the Mexican government takes offense to that to the point where they say, you know what? Maybe America's not our ally the way we think they are. Look how they talk about us. Look what they say about us publicly on the world stage. Maybe we need to partner up with someone else. And here comes China, you know, moonwalking and Putin coming through going, hey, you know, maybe we should do business. Yes, you think? Da? Mexico would be stupid to do that. They'd be, you know, maybe we do business, but instead of not just doing business, maybe I put missile, I put tank. You know, I bring submarine not too far away. We do exercises and we point missile towards U.S., yes? Mexico would be like, no, <laughs> absolutely not. Are you crazy? You want me to incur the wrath of a country that's already dropped two bombs on people? That has zero issue, especially since their public already looks at us as we're some sort of sub-country. I'm sorry if I'm offending any Mexicans out there, but hey, I'm not the one who said those things about you. Go look at the transcripts of various, various senators, uh, governors, councilmen, uh, talking heads that are on television, and presidents that have spoken about your country. This is not I. Okay, and the sentiment you had countless American citizens volunteering to build that wall. You had millionaires and business people investing in that wall being built. Okay, okay. So, what about their sovereignty then? What about Mexico's sovereignty if it said, you know what, we need <clears throat> we need new partners? So we're going to allow China to come here and help eradicate our. Um, we're going to use the Chinese military that is not in the back pockets of the cartels. Because part of the Mexican military is in the back pocket of the cartels because, like I said, they have more money than the government. And they pay police, they pay military, and they bribe military and police. And I'm not saying that the whole Mexican police <clears throat> and government is corrupt. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that there are many that when, you have, when you're that flush with cash, when you're that flush with cash, you can buy anything, you know. And that happens here. When you're that flush with cash, you can buy politicians. That's what lobbyists do. What do you think lobbyists do? You don't think they buy you and I's politicians in this country? <clears throat> That's what they do. So when you're that flush with cash, very, very difficult to get things done. So what if the Chinese come with the military and go, listen, we're going to eradicate all of these cartels. We're going to bring our technology. We're going to bring our Chinese military, our Chinese police, and we're going to crack down. We don't play those games on our side of town. And we're going to use those tactics. But in the meantime, if you want us to do these things, we're also going to ask something in return. Quid pro quo. We would like to put maybe a Chinese base in, 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 in you know, Mexico City. How you feel about that? And Mexico will be like, oh, we have no problem. Except... The United States is going to have a big problem, and then they're going to look at it as an adversarial act. They're going to look at it as an act of war, and they're going to preemptively come here and bomb the holy hell out of us. And the American people will be like, oh, my gosh, we have Mexican immigrants. We have refugees. We have this. We have uh, illegal immigration. And now Mexico's co cozying up to China. You got the browns with the other coloreds. And whoa, uh-oh, 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 uh-oh. So I'll say it again, the Ukraine playing footsie with the United States was a problem. Was a problem for Russia. Not a problem for me, it's a problem for Russia. Russia's looking at it the same way. U.S., what are you doing so far from home? U.S. can look at China if it's going into Mexico. Hey, China, what are you doing so far from home? What do you need over here, bruh? 
what, what you doing over here? Why you want to point stuff at me? So like 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 this this uh this article says and says so um eloquently, um if we can't see ourselves, we can't see anybody else. I love that. I that line for me touched home because I noticed that many many of my friends, colleagues, professors had blind spots. Like you can't see yourself through the through 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 scholarly lenses, through neutral lenses, through unbiased lenses. You already have preconceived notions as who the hero and who the villain is in this particular dynamic. So with that being said, you can't. If you think that Putin is, is what he's doing is wrong, I agree with you. I would I would agree with you. But if you don't see what we did in the Bay of Pigs is wrong, if we don't see that our countless conflicts across the planet are wrong, don't see our our our. Um, our interrupting and our intervening in certain democratic processes as wrong, then you have a blind spot. Then you have a blind spot. And you're not in a position to actually respectfully speak on the matter. You know, if you, if you can't speak about the My Lai massacre in Vietnamese, of the Vietnamese civilians and, and what occurred over there. Remember, I was in Vietnam and I saw it. I'm not talking about the Vietnam War. I'm not, I'm not that old. I'm not, I mean, I'm not, I, I wasn't born yet. But when I went to Viet, I read extensively from all sides about the Vietnamese War. When I say all sides, I mean I read books from the United States. I read pro-war pro in Vietnam books. I read anti-war in Vietnam books. I read books from Vietnamese uh, uh, soldiers, from people that were on the ground, civilians who survived, the Vietnamese government, scholars and, and, and politicians. And it was translated. I read books from the French, from the Russians. And, you know, my dad had a lot of those books when I was growing up. So I just read them and I was just like, whoa. And then then the tapes came out, you know, the transcripts from JFK talking about the war and Nixon and, and LBJ and all of them speaking. I'm like, wow. Wow. What's going on today? Russia v. Ukraine. Pales in comparison to U.S. v. Vietnam. Respectfully. And I don't have to go that far back. The fabrications that led us into Iraq, where many countries, even countries in Europe, do you remember that there was barely a coalition of the willing? So many countries condemned the United States. First world nations said, nah, man, going into, a, uh, going into Iraq under these, under these um, uh, 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 pretenses is wrong. It's a preemptive, it's a preemptive strike. It's a it's it's tantamount to war crimes. Where were you when that was going on? What side of the map were you on? Were you like, oh, those are Muslims. Oh, those people hate America. Oh, those people brought down the towers, which they didn't. Those were Saudis. We didn't go to war with Saudi. OK, um, oh, Saudi Saddam. Oh, they're transcripts. There are countless transcripts that are out speaking about George Bush II wanting to finish what George Bush I didn't finish. And Saddam was, you know, pretty much, uh, and, and he was installed by Cheney and, 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 and Rumsfeld. But I digress. I digress. All of these things where your enemy becomes your friend and then your friend becomes your enemy and your ally and this game of politics. So if people are going to be like, well, that's just how it goes. Well, then if that's just how it goes, then you have to remain neutral in this thing, too. You have to look at what's going on in Ukraine and Russia and look at it from the African's perspective and go, well, hey, hey, you know, 
the Russians helped us during our anti-colonial struggles. And guess who those colonial struggles were against? It was against the very same people that are against Russia right now. And they're saying, you know what, we're just going to stay out of this. How about that? Except Ghana and Kenya. I think Ghana and Kenya uh, spoke out and admonished uh, the Russian government for, for um, invading Ukraine. Right? But most of the nations are going, we're staying out of this. So if you're someone who looks at this as just as just hey, when the U.S. does it, hey, that's just how things go. You know, we, we, we got to protect our interests. And if that's your stance, I'm OK with that. But then you have to be OK with Vladimir Putin thinking the exact same thing. Okay, he's just protecting his interests. You have to use that same uniform ideology. If not, then you can't see yourself. That means you can't see anybody and anyone else. And that blindness will lead to catastrophe. I just wanted to speak on that because I just I read these articles, um, you know, just recently. And when I looked at the dates, I was like, wow, I said the same thing. But I, I wasn't as eloquent because I'm going off the top and these people are writing, you know, and they're scholars. These people go back. These people were alive. Not only were they alive, they wrote on these things while they were happening in the Middle East, in South Africa, in Vietnam and everywhere else in the Soviet Union. They were scholars on the ground during these times. Not only that, uh, um, they were there. They criticized those things when they occurred. They weren't using hindsight saying, oh, it was bad five, 10, 15 years later. While these things were going on, they were chronicling the aggressions. And when I saw it, I was like, wow, I just spoke about that like a week ago, two weeks ago, three weeks ago. So when I see that now, I go, okay, I'm not crazy. I'm just kind of pointing this out to you guys saying that, hey, listen, more smarter people than I'll ever be probably have, are speaking about this and saying, hey, listen, you got 100,000 people coming here from the Ukraine. You got $13.6 billion that the United States is committed to the Ukraine right now. $13.6 billion, respectfully, my heart goes out to every single last person that is suffering in war right now <clears throat> i don't care where you're from ukraine uganda russia rwanda i don't care where you're from uh, my heart goes out to you you're haitian you're mexican you're ecuadorian el salvadorian nicaraguan honduran ukrainian ugandan ethiopian yemen yemenis afghani iraqi my heart goes out to you, no matter where you are. I live in this country. I was born and raised in the United States of America. I watched this country descend in the last two years due to flawed policies, not because of a disease or a virus or a pandemic, because of policies that were enacted due to the, this disease or virus or pandemic. I watched this country's economy descend I know people who've lost their homes. I know people who've lost their businesses. I know people going through existential situations right now, not because of the disease. They didn't lose one family member, but because of policies. So what I'm saying is that $13.6 billion that's been committed to the Ukraine, I think we need some of that back over here. Just saying four out of 10, four of the top 10 richest countries on earth are in close proximity to the Ukraine. Let them take care of that. Let them shoulder that. 
Let them commit their billions and billions of euros to those refugees. <clears throat> America's created a refugee class of its own. You have displaced Americans trying to find out which state they're going to live in that is more friendly to them as citizens. That's not telling them do this or else, shut down your business or else. People had to sell their homes and now you have prices of homes up 30 to 40 percent nationwide. You have cr violent crime up 30, 40 percent. You have rent up 50 percent in some places up to 50 percent. What are you talking about? 13.6 billion. You have a country right now that has five dollar a gallon gas prices. A couple of years ago, I was spending two bucks a gallon. Now it's four eighty nine, thirteen point six billion dollars to a quote unquote sovereign country way over there. And we're way over here where we have these issues on the ground that are self-inflicted, by the way. So I'm going to ask a lot of my black and brown Democratic voters. Who, who are you going to vote for in 2024? We're going to have that conversation. Hmm? You see what's going on? They turned away your, 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 your people at borders. You switch the, the worthy and unworthy victims. You see what's going on in Ukraine. A lot of those Nigerian and, and African students in Russia that were trying to cross over, that, that were studying in the Ukraine, I'm sorry, that were studying in the Ukraine, that tried to go enter into Poland like everybody else were being turned away. Like, uh-oh, sorry, you're not Ukrainian. Whoa. You guys forgot that on the Polish border, you know, Belarus and Poland, like I mentioned, I mentioned this in previously before reading any of these articles, a week before these articles were even published, and three, and three weeks before I read these articles, I spoke about what? What did I speak about? How there were Afghanis and there were people that were Yemenis, people that were on the border of Belarus and Poland that were looking to... They were refugees of wars. There are wars going on right now. When people talk about Russia v. Ukraine being the war, I'm like, no, it's not. It's not the only war. It, it, ooh, this superpower actor called Vladimir Putin and the Russians are invading Ukraine. There are wars and conflicts going on that are bloodier than Ukraine right now. Okay? Right now. They're over there, Poland, Belarus, and Poland said no. Europe said no, you stay. You cannot enter into our space. Sorry, no more immigrants. You have wars in Ethiopia. You have wars in Eritrea. You have wars over there in parts of Eastern Africa. No, stop it. Stay where you are. What those people are going through has been diminished, minimized, ignored they're the unworthy victims they always going through something they're always they always have something going on those countries are just going through suffrage and perpetuity hmm. you if you notice certain groups when they go through things we shrug our shoulders like yeah that's just their lot in life they're not entitled to the better things Meanwhile, my friend hits me up and contacts me saying, hey, listen, we have to find out where such and such is. Remember, he's Ukrainian and such and such. Oh, yeah. Oh, OK. 
oh, all right, yeah. I I tried to look for him too because I I hope he's all right. You know, he's a good guy, but wow, I, I I didn't see this outpouring of empathy and compassion for the others. That's why I love this statement when this article speaks about um um we see ourselves as empathetic and compassionate and just when we worthy victims allow citizens to see themselves as empathetic, compassionate, and just. And worthy victims are an effective tool to demonize the aggressors. They are used to obliterate nuance and ambiguity. Wow. All I have to say is, people, there's a reason why our world looks the way it looks. And it's not because of our leaders. It's because of us. It's not because of men named Putin. <clears throat> or men named Zelensky, or men named Macron, or men named De Gaulle, or 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 or, or people named Albright, or Churchill, or Bush, or Kennedy, or Nixon, or Obama, or Clinton. It's not. It's us. We're the problem. We're the problem. We have to look in the mirror and ask ourselves: Do we subconsciously look at some victims as worthier than others? <clears throat> hmm? Are we uniformly uh, 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 doling out compassion and empathy? Hmm? <clears throat> Are we being arbitrary? Is what's good for the goose good for the gander? And if the answer is no, then that's good. We're off to a good start. On that note, I bid you guys adieu. Until next time.